Gabriela Garcia's debut novel, Of Women and Salt, is about the choices mothers make and the burden of that legacy for their daughters. The settings range from 19th century cigar factories in Cuba to present-day detention centers in South Texas. We meet the character of Jeanette, the daughter of a Cuban immigrant who lives in Miami. Her neighbor, Gloria, a woman from El Salvador who is apprehended by ICE and separated from her little daughter, Anna. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. I spoke to author Gabriela Garcia about her novel of women and salt. This is a novel that spans generations of mothers and daughters from the 1860s to the present day, and it spans many spaces. Cuba, um, Miami, and Mexico. Once you knew, once you sort of came to the that that place where you knew that this was the novel, this was the story, was that prospect of covering so much time and so much space daunting for you at all? Um, I mean, I think I think maybe the hardest part was writing some of the historical chapters and the kind of research that went into that. But I think very early on, I knew that I didn't want to write a traditional linear storyline, kind of what we think of as like the traditional Western storytelling. Um, I knew that I, you know, that I wanted to sort of disrupt that and that I wanted to also explore writing in many different styles and voices. Um, so like even, you know, the chapters, <laughs> in each woman's voice, the style changes pretty drastically. Um, There are different points of views. It's sometimes it's past tense, present tense, um, even within a character. I knew that I wanted to sort of challenge myself um, with some of those conventions. So, you know, it was was, um, challenging in terms of making sure that I was sort of delivering the information that would make the story come together and delivering a satisfying, you know, ending to the to the story but I really enjoyed working in a you know in a totally different format yeah the structure here is so interesting just as you say with that narration shifting from character to character third person to first person um even the character of Jeanette has uh, a third person narration a chapter with third person and then chapters with first person. I thought that was so interesting. And it, it's not discombobulating in the least. You just sort of fall in line with it. You just sort of fall, you're so into the story that it's not even, um, it's not even really a question. It's just something I sort of went back to, to, to kind of study how you did that. It was very seamless. Um, and also the, the chapter with Gloria. So mm-hmm. Gloria from El Salvador, and she has a a first-person narration in some really gorgeous prose in this book that, that was very, I mean, all of the prose is so interesting in here, different voices, different features of those voices, but there was just something about Gloria that I thought that you gave to this character that that seemed so meaningful to me because it was just such a, a, a gorgeous prose for her for her story. Oh, that's so great to hear. Yeah, I um, I write, you know, I write poetry in addition to fiction. And I think um, voice and tone and image is something that I think a lot about even in my fiction. Um, 
so yeah, you know, in that in that chapter in particular, I was thinking a lot about different imagery. Um, I was thinking about, you know, how how to strike a, a balance between using that first person narration, but not making it, um, you know, o- overwhelmingly emotional or sentimental. Like I really wanted to sort of. Um, present her as the kind of like full human being who she is um, with many different interests. And, and it's, yeah, it's wonderful to hear that you connected with that chapter. Oh, I'm so glad that you're saying that because it's true. I mean, she has this interest in birds. She watches this National Geographic documentary, this video that's in the detention center. And I just, I was so moved, and it's not sentimental, just as you say, but I was moved by the idea that she had a first-person story that was so, just just what you said, that it was so lyrical, that she got to tell a story. So often with these immigrants who are seeking asylum from some extremely dangerous situations in their home countries have someone else speaking for them or have someone else making assumptions about their story, about what really happened back in their home country or what really happens in these detention centers. So there was there was just such a, a multi-layered appreciation for me of, the, of that chapter of Gloria that I sort of carried with me throughout the novel through the Anna chapters also um, that I I don't know I just felt like it was something very special to look at in this book yeah that's great to hear yeah I think I mean I think with Gloria I was thinking too about how often you know um, immigrant mothers are sort of presented in this trope where they're the sort of sacrificing suffering mothers which Gloria does sacrifice and she does um you know suffer under this really awful system but um you know I really I really wanted to show all of the layers of her you know her interests um the fact that like motherhood is kind of difficult for her at times like there's a point where you know she wonders you know she sort of admits that sometimes she doesn't want to be a mother um and so there's this fierce love for Anna but she's also you know I just I I really wanted her to not fall into that trope yeah I I can certainly understand that and she just comes through as this fully formed figure I mean she wants to dance she wants Mm -hmm. to you know return to those carefree days sometimes too and not just be someone who's working so hard, as you say, and sacrificing herself for her motherhood. There's more to uh, women and mothers than that. And I think your book really bears this out with each of the characters. There's the, the character of Maria Isabel in Cuba in the 1860s when we first enter the novel. She's this independent woman who works where mostly men work, making cigars. And Mm -hmm. this was during a time of tremendous conflict and strife in Cuba to begin with. Um, What was going on in that historical context uh, where where we first meet Maria Isabel? Yeah, so so that chapter takes place 
before the the war for independence, but during the sort of first time that um, you know some groups of people uh, rebelled against the the Spanish monarchy in Cuba. Um, and actually, the spark for that chapter was that I was in Cuba and I went to a museum exhibit that had <clears throat> these letters from Victor Hugo, the author, to Cuban independence fighters during that time. Um, and I became really fascinated by this sort of dialogue that was happening between authors and workers and political fighters. Um, and then, you know, my my family was always really into cigars. And I never I never knew that the names of a lot of these cigars, like Monte Cristos, Romeo y Julieta, um, were based on actual books that that cigar factory workers um, were read. And, you know, they named these cigars after like their favorite books. And so I just I became really fascinated by that sort of dialogue between um, writers and workers and political fighters. And yeah, I wanted I wanted to imagine it from the perspective of of a woman, um, you know, and and it's sort of realistic to the time, like her options are limited. You know, mm-hmm. she sort of begrudgingly enters a marriage because that that's actually how she finds some kind of freedom. Um, and I, you know, I was I was really interested in both the kind of freedom that she finds in in encountering all, all of this literature, while also being aware that, you know, that she, it's all coming from basically European white men. Um, and so I think, you know, I was really interested in in the idea of stories and how they're passed down and whether there's a possibility of reclaiming some of those stories, um, you know, who gets to tell them um, how they're sometimes silenced. So I, I felt like that was an interesting entryway into kind of the novel and that conversation. Oh, that's just so fascinating that the the workers who were making the cigars were read those stories and that that's a, a kind of an entry point. I mean, Maria Isabel, uh, sort of unlike the other women in the book, she um, she kind of falls in love with uh, Antonio's mind. Um, and as you say, she finds a, a certain level of freedom in her marriage to him because of books. It's, it's just so, such a beautiful idea. Um, and Maria Isabel's daughter is Cecilia. Cecilia is the mother of Dolores, who gives birth to Carmen and Elena. So what we see in each of the chapters, though, as we move away from uh, that initial story of Maria Isabel, uh, is a silence that's born of stigma and the pressures that these women are enduring in, in every single decade, in every single century, in every country that the book covers. We see that with all of them. You know, each one of them has... Um, has a, a central conflict, but each one of them is carrying the the silent secrets of of their relationships with their husbands, or something that they're carrying about motherhood, sort of like Gloria, a guilt or some kind of transgression, 
What is that story that you, that your novel tells us about stigma and how, for example, Carmen can't be so open about what happened in her marriage, uh, for instance, or that even even uh, can't can't be totally vocal about her daughter Jeanette's uh, addiction, right? So there's there's so so much that these women have to sort of keep to themselves. The same thing with uh, with Dolores, whose husband is physically abusive when he gets drunk. Everybody must sort of harbor these secrets uh, and carry them with them throughout their life. What what is that story of of silence and and stigma that your novel tells? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think I'm I'm really interested in stories, both the ones that we know and the ones that we don't know, but equally can shape our lives, you know. And I think, you know, I was thinking about stigma and silence um, and how women, particularly certain women, have been silenced historically and like what the what the repercussions are of that, you know. And, and there's a lot of that happening in the novel where um, that, that silence or that inability to tell the true story um, leads to really difficult consequences, you know, or just really difficult situations, really fractured relationships. And, and I think in particular, mother-daughter relationships and really like many relationships between women are, are so complex, you know, um, we know these figures as our, as our mothers, but we don't, we, you know, we don't really have access to the whole world of, of who they are. Um, and, you know, we, we have these whole stories about our own histories, about our own families that sometimes are, you know, myths, sometimes are, protective measures, you know, taken through generations, um, things that we don't want to see about ourselves. And, and there's a lot of that happening too, you know, the way that race and class and privilege function, um, within some of these families too, like these, these things they don't want to look at or analyze and, and how that sort of results in destructive choices and destructive behavior too. And Carmen has a, a, such an interesting story in this work and becomes, for, for me, a, a kind of um, a linchpin that I had not expected when I first encountered the character. But she's so connected to the past and then also connected, obviously, to Jeanette, who's a figure of the contemporary times. And, but Carmen has a foot in two places, in two different time frames. She's witnessed so much almost by association of what's gone on in Cuba as a young child and then experiences more sorrows in Miami too. And I, I was really looking at Carmen as um, a character of an immigrant woman um, and, again, carries these silences and these secrets. Um, and then Jeanette is her daughter, and we meet her so early on, and we learn about her terrible disease of addiction, which is such an important story, too. And I feel sometimes like the story of addiction for women of color, even 
for young women, even in contemporary times where maybe we're a little bit, the younger generations are more open or we have more access to information, but there's still that shame and that stigma uh, for Jeanette with her story of, of addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think I, I touch on that a little bit in the book, you know, there's a part where Jeanette is sort of thinking about how, um, you know, drinking can be like romanticized for men, you know, like the whiskey and, mm. you know, you know, like yeah. this whole um, sort of culture around men and, and drinking and substance use is so, so different from the way we, we think about women who um, drink a lot or have an addiction and are just sort of seen as, as messy and, you know, having a, a, a disordered life. And so she sort of touches on that a little bit and, um, yeah, there's a sort of, there's a sort of, you know, you sort of see, see that happening generationally too with her own father's drinking and how he sort of manages his life versus mm-hmm. her. And so, yeah, I was, I was sort of interested in exploring that a little bit and then also just sort of, um, you know, exploring, exploring the roots of, of some of that behavior, you know, mm-hmm. um, the sort of like deep wounds and then the inability to access um, a different kind of, of healing for her. Yeah, I could certainly see that. And it's like there's this double standard and men can overindulge because that's they can handle it. And, and with women, it's something else altogether. And Jeanette, totally. yeah, she becomes... Part of the story then of women not in her family up to this point, the women who have traveled with their children during this immigrant surge that happened around 2014, those folks who were traveling like from Central America because of all of the violence in places like San Salvador and Guatemala and Honduras and Mexico. But the details in these sections to do with the characters of the immigrants, like again with, with Gloria and her little daughter, they are so realistically drawn. The, the details about the guards and the detention centers and the yeleras. What was your research process for those details? I, they, they just were so vivid and so real. I, I just, I, I had everywhere ask about this, ask about the research. It's just really so palpable, the idea of the long hours of boredom, the the not being able to watch the news, not being able to watch the news in Spanish, not being able to hear Spanish, wondering where her daughter is, you know, the separations. What was what was the research like for you? Yeah. So um, during the time that 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 chapter takes place, I was actually working as an organizer. Um, with various different organizations and doing a lot of work around um, deportation defense work and around uh, women and families in detention. So I actually, you know, visited um, 
some of these detention centers in Texas. And I was also, you know, regularly talking to women in detention um, in these family detention centers. So a lot of it is sort of comes from those visits, from those conversations. I started writing some snippets of what would become that chapter during that time. Um, And then, you know, other sort of details that I filled in, a lot of it came from conversations with other organizers, with um, lawyers, with, you know, people who I was also talking to a lot during that time. It just comes through so uh, painfully real. And it, it just puts us there to sort of vicariously experience these these horrors and these sorrows that women and children had to endure um, in these places. We learn in the very first chapter this phrase that Maria Isabel happens upon in a book, We Are Force. Um, and readers will have to see will have to read for themselves and see how the phrase is carried over from there to here, from then to now, and how this sort of mantra spans all of these generations and all of these stories from woman to woman in this book. But something that I really appreciate about your novel is what is established very early on with the character of Maria Isabel. She's drawn, as we were saying, to storytelling and to Antonio reading from books during the lunch hour at the cigar factory. And she's just intent on learning to read. And she works hard toward this goal. And this is what you wrote. She could string letters into words. She marveled at the magic of it all, how human beings had thought to etch markings on stone to tell their stories, sensed each lifetime too grand, too interesting, not to document. She wanted to write her own words. She wanted to write her life into existence and endure. I... That comes so early on in the book, and I just felt like when we do encounter books later in the novel, that that I I kept thinking about Maria Isabel, and you just see this connective tissue across these countries, across these decades and centuries, uh, from woman to woman. Um, and readers will have to see again how that's how this is passed on and passed on. But is that how you feel about this book and about writing this idea of these lives are too interesting not to document them? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've always been drawn to to writing since I was a, a kid, and I've always been drawn to reading. Um, so I think it's, it's something I, I certainly think about, you know, like what the impulse is to write, what the impulse is to, you know, read, sort of enter into the minds of other people through through books. Um, so it was something I was I was definitely thinking about. And I was also, you know, thinking about um that passage, the, you know, the fact that like these these factory workers, um, you know, whenever they did encounter stories about Cuban women, it was always through this perspective of, of men. And I think, you know, that, that passage, Maria Isabel is sort of 
sort of thinking about that, you know, about her own voice and her own words and how she wants to sort of find find um, an ability to sort of speak for herself. And, you know, the the words that are passed on the book, like it's sort of, you know, there's like writing in the margins and it's sort of like women make it into whatever it is for them, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever those words mean for them, whatever that book means to them at the time. And I sort of was thinking about that too, you know, how it's not just the the story, but how it, how we relate to it in our own lives and how we can either make it our own or not, you know? Um, so that's sort of what I was, I was thinking about. Gabriela Garcia, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Gabriela Garcia is the author of Of Women and Salt. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Kathleen Creeden is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides. 